But first, it's time to wish Gwen Rogerson happy birthday. Now, we've just celebrated the 90th birthday of the ABC and we don't usually do personal birthdays, but clearly it's very different with Gwen. Gwen is 91 and would you believe she was my art teacher when I was in 3D, which was the, the Dills class, at Eltham High and we've been in touch ever since. So I was a lousy student, but she was a great teacher. So Gwen, everyone listening to the program, and I'm sure Bruce Shapiro will join me shortly, wishes you a very happy 91st birthday. But first, the Shapiroette, and uh, let's head off to, uh, well, before we get stuck into Donald Trump and his uh, misbehaviour, I'd like you to celebrate the life of Staunton Lind. Indeed. Uh, and first of all, happy birthday, Gwen. I, I, let me just get that out of off my chest. <laughs> um, that's a lovely thing. Um, Staunton Lind, who died this week at age 92, is someone who I'm sure most listeners have, have never heard of. Uh, neither have most Americans. And yet was one of the most um, passionate and influential activist intellectuals of the last half century. Uh, Lind, more, more than a half century now. Um, Lind was a, a historian, the author of key studies of, of uh, pro-equality, anti-slavery radicals at the time of the American Revolution. Um, he was part Marxist, part Quaker, um, but was the, kind of the key figure between the old left of the warring Communist Party and Trotskyists of the 1930s and 40s and 50s and the new left of the 1960s. As a young scholar, he was um, inspired by the civil rights movement, became the education director of Freedom Summer in 1964, um, organizing the curriculum for schools to educate black folks in Mississippi who'd been locked out of equal education. Um, he was one of the first, I mean, and literally among the first anti-Vietnam War protesters uh, in 1965 at a time when the war still enjoyed uh, popular support in the U.S. He, he, he was also up. a crusader against nukes, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Early on, anti-nuclear anti war protester. Showed up at the Pentagon in 1965 with one other protester and was surrounded by cops, military police, who said, what are you doing here? Uh, <laughs> and he said, oh, you don't understand. We are the first of thousands. A year later, he went to North Vietnam, but his key work came in the 70s and 80s when after being purged from academia as too radical, uh, losing jobs at Yale and in Chicago, um, Staunton retrained as a lawyer and became a historian of American labor and at the same time, especially in the Midwest in Ohio, an organizer pushing key campaigns for union democracy, driving, you know, mobbed up union bosses or simply stultified union bureaucracies as crazy as he once drove um, conservative academics. Um, Lind had an enormous impact on a generation of American radicals deeply devoted to community organizing from below is how he would put it. Did you know um, him, Bruce? I did. I knew him not well, but well enough 
to understand that his 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 key contribution for me was to define a role for intellectuals as allies of American social change. Uh, he looked at people like Adam Michnik in Solidarity, who as a historian did so much to promote the Solidarity movement in Poland, and said, how can intellectuals sit alongside social movements which necessarily need to be driven from the community level and yet contribute intellectual integrity to that and help us understand what's going on in the world? He was the... Lind was the polar opposite of the kind of technocratic liberals who surrounded people you know, like the Clintons and, and uh, Barack Obama. He was someone who felt that if social change comes to the United States, it's going to be at the community level in working class communities with people identifying the issues that matter in their own lives and whether it is through unions, whether it is through community action, gaining, regaining a sense of agency and control. Um, he's a pacifist, or at least uh, an anti-militarist, opposed to the death penalty, fought for one cause after another for all of his 92 years, and really proposed a pathway for social change that influenced um, generations of American activists. Well, that uh, that track record as a secular saint means we've got to give him a posthumous koala stamp, don't we? Uh, if there is any American worthy of the honour, it would be Stoughton Lynch. Okay, let's go back to the midterms before you take us to dinner at Mar-a-Lago, Bruce. <laughs> All eyes are again on Georgia. Indeed. Um, although, I mean, interestingly, of course, the race is a bit less high stakes than it once was since the Senate is securely in Democratic hands. But we do have incumbent Democrat Raphael Warnock, the former uh, pastor, still the pastor, actually, of, of um, Martin Luther King's former church in Atlanta, Ebenezer Baptist Church. And um, and Herschel Walker, the football player, um, endorsed by Donald Trump, tons and tons, buckets of Democratic and Republican money going into this race. Um, I, I will say that the based on the, the turnout in early voting, which is extraordinarily high, um, a couple hundred thousand folks have already voted early in there, that in the past in Georgia has been that kind of turnout has been aligned with Democratic success. This is a runoff, however, because the election was so close. There was a, a libertarian candidate who, uh, on election day, took just enough votes to prevent either Warnock or Walker from getting 50%. So it still could go either way. But it has become a massive get-out-the-vote drive. And, you know, that extra vote in the Senate does change the dynamic for Joe Biden. If Walker wins, it diminishes the power of individual senators like Joe Manchin or Kristen Sinema um, and increases the kind of overall authority that Democrats have as they try to hold on to bits of their agenda in the face of a Republican House. So it is consequential and will also be a measure of whether the Democratic insurgency of this last midterms can hold up. This is our weekly Shapiroette with Bruce Shapiro, who, among other things, is contributing editor at The Nation magazine. Now, just one week after that 
wonderfully invigorating launch of his re-election bid, the Donalds <laughs> in a bit of bother, this time over, well, inappropriate dinner guests. Oh, indeed. Well, um, Kanye West, uh, who is n- no surprise, longtime Trump friend, who himself, of course, um, has been roiling the waters with with openly anti-Semitic rants lately, um, was at Mar-a-Lago and as his dinner date uh, brought a guy named Nick Fuentes, who's only 24 years old, but is at 24 already a the country's probably most famous white supremacist and, and anti-Semite, Holocaust denier. Um, and the former President Trump claims that he didn't know who Fuentes was when he uh, had a is, dinner. Is that being, credible? No. Uh, first of all, Fuentes uh, has uh, been praised by Trump before. And secondly, uh, even if it was true, Trump has done nothing, said nothing, to distance himself or to denounce uh, Fuentes' rants. And clearly, Trump understands that holding white supremacy, holding the far right close to him, is the most, at this point, the most solid constituency he got. I mean, we've had everybody from Mike Pence to leaders of um, the Jewish Republican uh, organization all denouncing former President Trump for having these dinner guests. And, you know, this is this and is Trump, Trump's been backpedaling desperately, has he not? He's been, well, he's been backpedaling to a point, right? I mean, he has not separated himself from, uh, from Fuentes' past statements. He's just saying, oh, I, I, I never knew anything about this. Um, but, you know, he also had Kanye West there, who, of course, you had to know everything about, who's been talking about going DEFCON 3 on Jewish people and obsessing about Jewish business people. And this, you know, the context for this is, first of all, a Republican Party that has been trying in this brief window probably to distance itself from Trump before primary season kind of gets underway and Trump's electoral strength begins to show itself. And then, you know, you you also have genuinely the the fear of rising anti-Semitism in the U.S. and being expressed more and more openly with fewer and fewer consequences. Um, This is alarming even the most conservative Jewish members of the Republican establishment who had backed Trump in the past, even in the face of Charlottesville. Uh, I have to say, to me, this whole thing is no surprise, but there are a lot of people acting shocked, absolutely shocked, that there's a white supremacist in the White House. Bruce, as you know, I, I know nothing of popular culture. I gave up shortly after Bing Crosby. So explain to me who this... Uh, Kanye guy actually is. I believe he's a hip-hop in Kardashian. Well, he's he's an enormously influential rapper um, and was widely respected as an artist. He's also someone with a profound uh, history of, of psychiatric problems and the people who follow him closely um, I, I believe, and who have written well on Kanye West, like my boss at 
Columbia, Dean Jelani Cobb, feel simply that he's being uh, that, that people like Trump are are coddling um, someone who's got profound problems and are are um, encouraging the, the the sort of the celebrity industry is encouraging. Uh, a mentally ill artist to go on these these uh, horrific anti-Semitic rants. So, you know, is, that, that's is it is it a disaster for uh, for Trump that he has also confirmed his run for the presidency in twenty twenty four? Well, it, it depends on your perspective. Trump, um, you know, I think what Trump understands is that however much people like Mike Pence. And uh, Ron DeSantis now are denouncing the former president or distancing themselves from him or hoping he will go away. The forces which brought Trump to power in 2016 within the Republican Party, the intellectual vacuum following the death of Reaganism, the inability of Republicans to articulate what they are for, the generation of midgets in, 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 in Republican presidential candidates, those conditions still prevail. And what Trump is counting on, beyond hoping that being a presidential candidate will make it harder for him to be indicted, um, is that when it actually comes to primaries, that vacuum will still be there. And the base of voters who s supported him in 2016 and 2020 will be there for him once again. That is what Trump is banking on in a very conscious way. And he knows that that depends on him being as outrageous as possible. It's, it's the same theory that has been Business, business as usual. Bruce, thanks for that. Bruce Shapiro, of course, uh, uh, exec director of the DART Center for Journalism and Trauma at Columbia University. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.